0: hello and welcome to the johnny fallon podcast news roundup from march 2021 where we are going to take a look at some of the big news stories that happened over the course of the last month who are some of the winners and losers and what does it mean for the political landscape going forward this year there are a few big stories there was everything from the resurgence of the story of leaked documents there's the ongoing problems with vaccine rollouts. there are the ongoing problems with who's getting the vaccine and when and of course that all important question for everybody out there when will Ireland finally start to reopen and might life get back to some kind of normality we're going to take a look at all of the stories uh, in these areas that affected us and try to figure out what might be going on behind the scenes So thank you for tuning in uh, yet again as we take a quick news roundup of some of the major stories and try to figure out maybe some of the developments that might be forcing the hand of either ministers, government, opposition spokespeople, what are the issues affecting the political parties. As of this morning there are more polls out and polls we've had two in the last month neither of which bring good news in particular for fiona fall and we are seeing a political landscape that does seem to be settling into some kind of long-term pattern now this is really interesting before we get to some of the big news stories this pattern thing in politics is really really important because over the years, you have a political system in Ireland, like like anywhere else. We sometimes think our political system is is wildly different to anywhere else, and it, it's not really. You have what well, essentially were two parties that developed after the civil war, along with some other smaller parties like Labour and you know parties that came and went. But the scene was dominated by two parties, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. You look at political systems all around the world and sometimes the system is designed to just ensure there are two parties and there's a choice and there's an opposition always, but not to have lots of parties. Irish system nurtured that idea of having lots of different parties and voices because of our voting system, it allowed for that all of that's fine that's that's just part and parcel of of politics but essentially what will always happen is you will develop into two rather large parties or groupings always because that's the way people like things to be and while we might like choice that choice becomes a little bit more radical at the edges and therefore you've less people supporting smaller parties than you do what is in that main center position where you'll always have two big parties ireland was nothing special or different in that we just got ourselves confused as to what was left and right and you know because we didn't put names on them but our experience of other countries and i've said this many times shows that there's not a huge amount of difference very often between the two major parties in a political system now one of the things on why these opinion polls are so important right now is and that Ireland has had that system and it's worked perfectly fine if you like well you can debate whether it's worked perfectly fine in terms of the outcomes and results but in terms of politics it's worked it's had that system what we call two and a half party state where for most of the time you have Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael with Labour then being the, the, the half party behind that then you get the growth of more parties that are coming into it but still there's options there for coalition governments and that's how it's gone in modern times and more recent times that all changed after the financial crisis and big huge global events do things like this to politics um ireland for instance came out of uh you know world war ii because it wasn't directly involved and it maybe didn't have that huge impact on its politics that it might have had or could have had but essentially the global financial crisis of those first big major global things to hit ireland and it really did change the political landscape out of it now it was the aftermath of it rather than it itself that changed it because since 2011 since that change since that dynamic began to gather pace where parties were jostling for position and finna was looking to become now the dominant party and had the chance to do that and crush fianna Fáil, and fianna Fáil looked to have fallen away then you get after 2011 and something of a sense of okay okay that was a bit wild we all went out and fianna Fáil was crushed and reduced its numbers right back but then there's a sense of calm begins to come back in the economy begins to recover again things begin to improve a little bit and then people begin to go you know well Fianna Fáil weren't all bad you know we you know there's a certain voters and groups who had always supported them who are then beginning to drift back towards Fianna Fáil and since 2011 and that crash of of uh, electorally there seemed to be almost a chance of politics returning back to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and possibly a half party now one of the things that had happened was when Labour at their their probably the height of of their power after 2011 where they really seemed to be ready to overtake you know Fianna Fáil compete with Fianna Gael they were finally no longer the half party their experience of government absolutely destroyed them. They got so much wrong in that government. They got so much wrong in how they prepared for it, how they positioned themselves, how they handled it. And they paid an enormous price, a price every bit as big as what Fianna Fáil paid for the, the financial collapse in the com- country. And that saw suddenly both Labour and Fianna Fáil push back, and then Sinn Fein. That rise of, of let's put new and in inverted commas, because they're not exactly a new party, they've been around for quite a while. But it it allowed Sinn Fein in as as if you like this new voice within it. But by 2016, it just seemed that Sinn Fein might replace Labour as the half party because of what had happened to Labour and government. And we might be returning them by the 2020 election to that two and a half party state. So that was all out there we've all been wondering about that and is it possible and is that what happens and is that where politics is headed and we've been doing that for the best part of this decade. Now after the 2020 election where Fianna fall got a nasty surprise uh, when they just didn't manage to ignite at all uh, in that campaign they haven't handled a bit like labor at the twenty eleven they haven't handled government at all particularly well um and now they're struggling with that identity crisis uh but the polls are consistently showing us one thing since the twenty twenty election, and that is that finnegail can recover Finnegail are still seen as something of a bulwark uh against People who might want Sinn Fein in power. Uh, they're still seen as perhaps this, if you like, bastion of establishment opinion and that they're a safe bet. Now, if you don't believe that they're a safe bet and you're saying, look, we're tired of Finegrail and we want Finegrail, the only real option of removing Finegrail, who has that one party, so if you do want a two party kind of state opposition, Fianna Fáil can no longer provide you that they can no longer provide you the guarantee that if you disagree with say let's call it the establishment that you can vote fianna fall and they'll take out that establishment and i know people gonna say oh they're all establishment yet but the system is what i'm talking about here and you can't get fianna fall to say now that they can clearly remove finna from power so that you have that government opposition dynamic therefore you have people going well then if I don't really want to go with what the current lot say the only option is Sinn Féin and we have seen consistently in polls now Fine Gael's recovery as Fine Gael returns to a position it was in in 2011 where it is sucking up that right-wing vote remember that thing Fine Gael said lend us your votes you know in 2011 they appealed to Fianna Fáil voters and said listen let's sort out the country lend us your votes even just for this election. And then those votes seem to drift back to Fianna fall and now they seem to be coming back to Finegrail again as Finegrail begins to go, yeah, yeah, okay, you hammered us in, in 2020 and you didn't like us, but you know what? There is a threat here, and if you don't like that threat, and if you're slightly right of centre in your views, maybe you should be coming to Finegrail. And some of those votes are beginning to find their home in Finegrail, and meanwhile, if you're Fianna Foal and you're a left centre voter or a former Fianna Fáil voter, it's still, you're looking for a home. And Sinn Féin seems to be picking up a huge amount of that and has done ever since 2016 and 2011. Now, that's problematic for Fianna Fall in particular, as we look at these polls today, to be down at 11%. I mean, when you consider, just for a moment, consider that the last time we saw fianna fall take these kind of poll numbers uh in in 20 2010 2011 you had a government that was entirely blamed for the financial crisis Now i'm going to say whether it was right or wrong Let's not, i could even get into that the fact was the public utterly and completely held them to blame for that financial crisis they held them to blame for what they saw as years of corruption. Years of stories of being in it for themselves. They had a, a narrative that was, you know, these guys have feathered their own nests, they helped the builders, they did all this, and that was that crop of politicians. And they were absolutely battling against the waves at that point. And they were posting figures of 11% or so in the polls at a time when they were being absolutely, as I say, 100%. to blame as far as people were concerned for everything that was going wrong and people were really suffering economically and everything else at that time now fiona fall are not necessarily right now being held accountable as in that it's the fault of this current cabinet that covid has struck they may be held accountable for some of the decisions in there but they're nothing like the kind of decisions that were you know in terms of just how people reacted to decisions they weren't the kind of unpopular decisions that were being held accountable for during the financial crisis and yet fiona Fáil finds itself posting those same poll numbers that tells us something it tells us that whatever fiona fall had in terms of charisma in terms of leadership in terms of its ability to attract votes and attract people back to itself is gone and there's nothing within that and and the sad thing about this is for them, I'm not quite sure I can see where they're going to get that back because this isn't of fall of old where there are three or four leaders waiting in the wings to take up position, who are energetic, charismatic people who who have a real drive, who are going to go get things done you You look around this and you think i can't see it for the most part you have people who all agreed to go along with michael martin's plan to get finna into government a plan that was never looking likely to work or be popular yet they did it so look they have a real problem and i think it's just interesting to start out with some of those polls to look at that because there is that pattern developing And it's a pattern I think that suits both Sinn Féin and Fine Gael. They are looking out at maybe the next 20, 30 years and saying this is the future of Irish politics. It's Fine Gael and Sinn Féin. And if you want to keep Sinn Féin out of government and you want a more establishment voice and you want a bit of stability um, then you should be voting Fine Gael. They're the only party that can absolutely promise you that stability and Fine Gael are also kind of the ones who are looking quite paternally at the Greens and Fianna Fáil in government and going see we knew all this was a lot more difficult than these lads thought and you know they're like kids going around but we're trying to keep them on track they're doing that very very well for their own sake and meanwhile Sinn Féin are looking at it going if you really want to change things up in politics then the only option you've got the only party you've got that's going to be able to guarantee you that they're not going to put Fine Gael back into power is Sinn Féin and that's a powerful argument for them. Uh, Change and when people want change will be but for both parties it begins to look like look we are the two-party system now and there's a battle for all these half parties behind that um and and they are all struggling to make any real impact on us it's nice they're showing growth or whatever in some of them for the Dems for the the Greens have have had a little bit of recovery in the polls but not much I mean it's still small figures at that uh, low base so that's where this these polls leave us and it is just an interesting backdrop to some of the stories that we're having this month because that dynamic is there that dynamic of Fianna Fáil having the shock, having quite a, a a number of TDs yet being quite aware that on these poll numbers they're not coming back a lot of those TDs that they're going to lose absolutely seats that were considered dead safe and Fianna Fáil are still reeling they are still reeling because they cannot understand how when only a year ago or a little over a year ago going into the election they were looking at coming back with possibly 60 or more seats they were looking at being another step on their recovery and being the biggest party in the state how can they now be looking at oblivion and the only thing i can say about that is decisions Decisions rule everything. You have to get decisions and you have to take them and you have to be brave about them and Fianna Fáil hasn't been any of those things. They've deferred decisions and then when they have taken them they've inevitably taken ones that just were plainly wrong and and, and didn't really suit where they were coming from as a party and as a result have lost a huge identity for their party. Um. So look, that's the backdrop to it. There's huge pressures on these parties. We're gonna talk about the Greens a little bit later on some of their difficulties, but all of the parties in government are really getting quite scared. And the only ones who might be looking at this and thinking, look, if we come out the other side of this, an election wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, is Finnegail. Um. But then for Finnegail, look they're not going to run to an election they're not going to rush into it because they have a history of saying election would look good now and then doing disastrously during it uh, so they're not going to make that mistake and run towards an election but they're equally um, probably not the most upset at where they're at at least there would be seat gains no matter what that's how they are going to look at it so then let's look at some of the 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 major stories starting with probably the biggest one which is a vaccine rollout because that's the story that is driving everything at the moment now a couple of months ago i said here this vaccine rollout was absolutely critical for the government it was it was the essential piece of the jigsaw because you have a government who's come in and as i say it's not their fault that covid happened the policies within us can be laid at their door at certain times yes but overall i actually think people are relatively forgiving about you know relatively understanding about the the difficulties faced by a government in this kind of situation and that's why you have uh still doing quite well in the polls and you're getting a sense that you know the, the people are not horrified by by you know Government decisions. They are frustrated by them and fed up with them, but they just want them to be explained. That's at the heart of it. They do need to know there's a rational analysis going on, that there's a reasoning behind it. So, to start with the vaccine rollout, it's been the key thing for government for some time because the vaccine rollout is a part of you're in government, if you're michael Martin and you're Leo Varadkar and you're their advisors and their teams, you're sitting down, you're into it, looking at it last year you're looking ahead and you're thinking well what is the good news in all of this closed economies debts, everything else and you're thinking if we can get through it imagine it's going to be great afterwards when we do finally reopen when we do get people back to normal possibly we might look like heroes you know people might say yeah do you know what it's great and and in an overwhelming sense of goodwill when normality returns people will go oh do you know what that weren't so bad and also don't forget that people have a tendency to when they get over some major crisis like that to kind of say well let's not take any risks let's just calm down and keep the guys who got us through it there and stay calm and you know until the economy finds its feet again so stability might be an idea so if you're looking at all of that you're thinking well okay getting out of this could be key you're waiting for the rest of the world to come up with something you know Ireland can't solve Covid on its own so on that's fine Um, but what you can do as a government the one thing you would have looked at out of all this and said right but you know what when the vaccine comes it is our job to get it out to people and if we really show how good we are at that then irrespective of all the decisions we might have got right or wrong on lockdown irrespective of all the things that might have been you know popular or unpopular or the budgetary things we've done irrespective of all that people will watch that and go oh my god you know Ireland is really really ready for rolling out this vaccine and we're stopping at nothing we're we're crashing through the barriers here every time we make stuff happen because we're getting this vaccine out and that's our answer now that's the bit you would cling to that's the bit as an advisor you say look this is the one part here of all of the moving parts of this covid thing there's one part here we can actually lay claim to everything else will either be told it's health advice it's this it's that it's the other it's a and as politically you may not get credit for any of it but the vaccine rollout get it right you can you can be told actually you know these guys aren't so bad i mean you even look across at the uk and i've been amazed at how you know here in ireland Uh, for the last number of years you've been looking across at boris johnson and people not not a popular character in ireland and, and with brexit and all that kind of stuff and yet in the last couple of weeks i'm consistently hearing people saying but you know what fair play to boris johnson all the same they're getting their vaccine rolled out in the uk and he's getting credit for that getting credit for that here now i'm not sure what it's like in the uk but i would imagine there's something similar there in terms of the supports for the conservatives for um boris johnson a sense that yeah the bit you got control over you're actually getting on and doing something about it same kind of thing plays here in ireland so this has to be the one you've got to look at and you got to get right you got to say it's coming now here's the thing first problem with vaccine rollout that we've seen we've seen it kind of consistently happen here Leo Varadkar, to be fair to him, did suggest um, it, it last winter that the vaccines were coming. I think it was around October, November, something but the vaccines are coming, we'll have it rolled out, we're going to get ready. And then there were these kind of things where the media said, oh, Leo Varadkar suddenly talking about vaccines by the end of the year and vaccines being rolled out. And then there were these reports that, you no, know, the Department of Health says that they don't know what the Taoiseach was saying there, they have no evidence of this, Blady, blah, blah, blah. Levrekker was actually right in that. Now I know people are going to say, "Oh, but he was wrong and reopening and all that." Yeah, that's politics. You're going to get stuff right. You're going to get stuff wrong. That's what you have to be. But reason that point is important is because Ireland always always have a choice, and you always have a choice in this. Information comes at you fast. Some of it will be overly optimistic. Some of it will be overly negative. It's not always the smart thing to go with the worst case scenario because unfortunately the worst case scenario means you you know you're never ready to take advantage of any opportunity that comes because you end up being overly cautious and it just begins to appear like Ireland has taken at that point probably because governments were scared a worst case scenario approach it's almost like the vaccine caught them by surprise that we weren't quite ready the vaccine rollout has not been a complete disaster as some people uh, like to make out um you know Ireland is not the bottom of the league by any stretch of the imagination for vaccine rollout indeed it's been quite reasonably good in it here's the problem that the Irish government are facing though with so much talk of quite long lockdowns and they have been quite long lockdowns in Ireland and there's been a lot of things shut that have weren't shut in other countries and yet we have had consistently high numbers. Uh, deaths you know this hasn't been that lockdown has really stopped us and we've we've improved. the government can say well yes this is a tough decision but look how much better we've performed on covid than any other country can't say that either so although having quite tough stern lockdowns that other countries maybe didn't have quite as tough we're not outperforming them there now therefore you have a government that's continually being forced by people to reconsider and reassess when they come down to this and when people look at the government they're looking for well what are you doing right so okay you're not great at the lockdown but we're not the worst at it we're not great at the vaccine rollout as in we're not like the, the top of the table we're not you know coming up with new ways to do this or we're not showing the world how to do it and we're also we're not failing. This is one of the problems for the government that they have consistently been happy with mediocrity always. We're not the worst. We may not be the best, but we're not the worst. Therefore that's okay. There has to be one point politically if you want to sell something. There has to be at least one point that you excel on. The mediocrity is fine. It's a safe place and that's you need a certain amount of that just so as you're not taking risks all over the place and unnecessary risks but there has to be one element that you're absolutely excelling on and right now Ireland doesn't seem to be excelling on anything it's just that mediocrity and people just get tired of that they want to cling to one thing and go but we're very good at this or we're very good at that not getting a sense of that at all here in, in Ireland and that's the problem for vaccine rollout you've had debate this month um which has been about first of all you know how are we going to uh, are we getting the vaccine uh in are we getting enough of it the eu thing hasn't helped because i think the eu has been a bit of a shambles themselves in it again there's big questions here for the eu you see over this this row with britain about the, the the vaccines and exporting them and you know the eu has lots of very valid points deep down the problem here is that this is the second global crisis that has hit in just over a decade and it's the second one where the eu has really seemed to be not fit for purpose um now that doesn't mean that people don't want want to give up on the eu because i think it'd be a disaster if all these countries were the real problem that it points to is that when these crises hit all of these countries do act far too individually in their response to actually be helpful so giving up on the eu would not be a solution because you would get even more fractured approach and clearly it's that fractured approach that's causing the issues what europe does need is more decisiveness (laughs) as always and it needs the ability to actually bring its countries together quickly in unified decision making in unified approaches and it's not able to do that in these crisis situations that does point that we may be looking at having to change europe and and dare I say it as somebody who has always been a pro european but a pro european on the basis of um <coughs> a union of nations independent nations that have come together that's always been my view of what europe was and should be i think out of this crisis too we are going to have to look at certain more federal elements to europe because these global crises are going to happen more often that's the global world we live in and therefore there needs to be a bigger player on the pitch and that's going to have to come a greater direction from the eu now we have to be careful very careful about what that actually looks like um but i think it's going to have to be on the table at some point as to how we approach that because right now you can see with the vaccines you can see with that rollout europe just wasn't really at the races and ready for what happened afterwards and it wasn't flexible enough so ireland can say well look we were going with the eu plan and the eu plan wasn't great that's their fault but ireland is part of that um so look we've had that issue uh with with vaccines then you get down to what has happened for um, so many of, of um, the the politicians as they tried to talk about you know what, how might we improve vaccine rollout and inevitably it came to this thing where they're looking at certain countries or discussions about other countries that you know were going outside of it and paying over the odds you know Ireland didn't want to get into that and it's understandable too but there's a kind of question of why haven't we got anything extra in the vaccines now there are two points here if you're ahead of vaccine rollout and you're communicating it first of all is just the vaccines we're getting okay so our own supply how quickly are we pumping out the supply we've got because to the man in the street there's like what five million people here we've got to to, to vaccinate you need to get those vaccines out to them quickly Given the numbers in other countries, you know, this shouldn't be an overly difficult task. Okay, we've less resources and less logistics, but you know, we've lots of brilliant logistical people to get around this. The vaccines that are being delivered, how quickly are we getting them out? Because, and the reason that matters to the man on the street, and there's I know there's loads of complexities as to why this can't be, but this is what you're dealing with. If you're looking at it on the street, you're asking if we're suddenly in a couple of months going to be getting more supply and we're going to be giving out hundreds of thousands a day in vaccines in order to get this ramped up so when the supply is there we'll be able to, why aren't we getting it out quicker now why aren't we able to ensure that all of the over 80s over 70s why are we still kind of just yeah we're, we're getting supply in and we're getting it out relatively but it's not like we have a gun out there in a day we're not like looking at the pharmaceutical companies and going, "We're stunning in, in our rollout We've been prepared. the trucks are ready to roll, the nurses, the doctors, the GPs, the vets, whatever that we are giving it out. They're standing around in halls, waiting on the vaccine to roll in. We've queues of people just waiting on a phone call, just get in here, quick, 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 as soon as X comes in, you'll all be given it, and you're all out. Now, that would seem, of course let's let's just back up the horse and say from a government perspective you don't want people standing around idly every day waiting it's just to prove your point but they haven't given that sense that's what i'm saying they haven't been given the sense the public haven't been given the sense that we are so much capable if we were getting more supply or somebody could give us five million vaccines tomorrow that we could have the whole country done in in a couple of weeks there's not a sense that we have the logistics in place to actually handle that and that worries the public because they're willing to accept it's a supply issue provided they get a sense that if we got those vaccines you have the logistics in place that they can at least see elements of that being in place too many of these small things keep going wrong from longford here and the idea that well we can't agree on a vaccine center you know one of the problems here again is that ireland has continually approached this not like this we keep talking about covid it's like a war but then it's not like a warlike response you know nations you go back and you read books on, on world war Two and, and and how nations responded to that and how everything in the economy gaily gets handed over towards the war effort everybody in some way becomes involved in the factories the logistics everything else to do that to keep a nation at war we keep talking about it as if that's the kind of response we want from people but then we don't actually show any policy response that equates to that we don't have a cabinet meeting like a war cabinet every day taking decisions no they're kind of saying well listen the cabinet will be meeting next tuesday and all the decisions will be taken at that meeting that doesn't give people that this is a war setting that gives people sense it's normality um when you're talking about getting into the 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 vaccines and the contracts here for it and well we've problems with this and we've problems with our systems and our re- it's a, hold on you know the logistics of getting it from one place to the other why haven't we got volunteers of trucks bringing this stuff now look yeah i know it's not all that simple but that's the problem for people when they're looking at this and if you're in government and you want to convince people the vaccine rollout's ready you have to be able to show them elements that things have changed that this isn't business as usual that you are not operating by the same rules that you can change rules adapt rules you'll make things happen overnight overnight in the mandatory hotel quarantine you know look and i'm not somebody who has been a huge believer in doesn't mean okay if we want to have mandatory hotel quarantine as far as i'm concerned yeah go on do it um it's fine i'm not as convinced that the amount of resources going into that equate to the amount of cases that are actually coming into the country from abroad and, and yes you can talk about new variants and all that kind of thing but all known new variants are already here and we're not particularly seeing any other new variants coming in i'm not sure we will stop them anyway and maybe they will or they won't but we can't work on ifs ands and buts about what might happen with these new variants and therefore shut down your country so look, separate issue but okay at the same time if you're going to do mandatory hotel quarantine do it it's taken us ages to get it done um and and it all just seems to be that because it's business as usual everything operates on the same procedures process and rules that they always have done and we have to observe the same procedures process and rules in order to make this happen that doesn't give you a sense that that's a war footing um so look that's the problem for the government right now they are they are and and it's a difficult one to communicate because without those one or two pieces that they can hold up there and say listen gold standards here and here that's where we're leading the way without those everything else gets sucked down into this kind of thing of you're just chugging along and you're happy with mediocrity you need something and right now the government have not had something and vaccine rollout is struggling because of that it's struggling with perception that again it's it's probably not as bad as as many people seem to think it is in in the rollout but many people are going to say there's just too many gaps in it there's too many ways to say that this hasn't worked Uh, too many small examples of problems that make people just go no no i don't think we're all that great with it and that's an issue that's an issue for the government it's an issue for how they communicate it they are looking at you know getting vaccines elsewhere and you saw this this month too there were all these calls about could we have approached america for vaccines could we have approached uh, other countries for vaccines again communication here is absolutely critical as to whether or not you're doing it it's not even sometimes the result it is the perception of that result. You had a situation this month where it became something of a narrative that you know why don't we go and just ask for vaccines uh, or source them from other countries, buy them, offer the money. We've heard of other countries here and there supposedly doing this so why can't we do it, offer the money, get more vaccines in. Now you saw very quickly a government then coming out and saying well we're not doing that it's not possible to do that there aren't vaccines out there you know um that's just the reality and we're not asking and then the pressure continued to mount from this it's a good example how these things happen continued to be talking the media about it continued to be talking the public about it and then you get to a stage where the minister for health says well i'm directing the department to actually examine ways that this might be possible now that's not a great line you know because again people are expecting war footing we're expecting you guys to be working night and day to get us back to work and sort this directing someone to have a think about it or examine ways that that doesn't really hold water but he says that and then a day or so later in the doll, Leo Varadkar as and Michál Martin as Taoiseach both say listen we've actually done this we've checked with Germany we've checked with other countries and there are no surplus vaccines available and then you're wondering why did you allow this story develop for days that we weren't going to ask when clearly you had already asked and it's that secrecy about it it's that sense that we won't tell exactly what's going on because maybe people will take the wrong thing out of it or they'll say this or they'll say that so we hide some of the story back until we're forced to tell it that's a problem and it's a problem for uh, things like vaccine rollout you have to give people that information they have to know then you had this whole thing. Well, could we get them from America? It was never likely we were going to get anything from America. But you know, there's still a sense of, you know, look at there's only five million of us. should look at they're giving them out in a day. Maybe Joe Biden will throw us a few vaccines. Then Michael Martin kind of comes back with this sense that, um, you know, there are no vaccines over there to be given uh, away. We're not quite sure whether he asked directly or didn't ask really, but ultimately, you know, there weren't going to be vaccines. You know, a day later, those vaccines going to Canada and Mexico, and um, now that's perfectly understandable that they would be because America is going to protect its own borders and people going in across. It has an interest in doing that, possibly in the same way as late as today. There's rumours, um, of the UK saying that they've they have some extra vaccines to give to Ireland that that may be on the table. And that makes sense because the uk must also think well we've got to protect our borders um and they have a the land border with ireland so why wouldn't they um they are the kind of things that happen so i don't blame that america i don't think we we're likely to get it but i suppose again there's that sense of are you asking are you giving us that sense that you are doing everything possible and you're trying to again you saw narratives and programs like Primetime where presenters are asking that question with so many big pharmaceutical companies here with are so many why can't we get something from them for all we've done for these big pharma companies why aren't we giving them some you know leverage with them and it's like, well no we don't and, and and that seems to be just it let's stop asking maybe they are asking but we need to know something about what's been done and you know what Yes, or so there's five million people in Ireland. So if you're talking, even five million, or if there's two doses and a lot of vaccines, so you're talking about seven million vaccines, and then some single shot vaccines, all that kind of thing. You're not even talking about needing to get numbers like that again for a minister. For it would be the ability to come back and go, well, you know what we have talked to the multinationals, and we have talked. We're actually getting another two thousand vaccines from them because we asked, or somebody is giving us two thousand. That would just be something it's again something to hang on to it will be a drop in the ocean will make a huge difference but it's something and again just consistently the problem for the government on vaccine rollout is it's not getting any wins it's not getting any little thing to say yeah we got that yeah did that yeah achieved it there you go the crucial thing for them now is on vaccine rollout that it has to reach those targets and i think possibly for the public it is going to be that target of june Uh, that the government was setting that you're talking about large numbers of the population really being vaccinated by them whether those vaccines come from the uk whether they come from pharmaceutical companies whether they come from a big uplift in supply worldwide i don't know but the government is desperately clinging to that because it needs those vaccines to be out and people have seen the impact of them by june there is the thing with with everything else that you know if you don't have that impact and they don't seem to have the impact people lose hope and then they turn against the government so that's been a challenge and that's why the vaccine roll has been such a hot topic now there are other things that are happening within um the the, the debate on vaccines and the interesting one this time just to, to turn to it because it's a recent story last few days and i think it's gripped everybody in the country and it is of course where the beacon hospital um private hospital in south dublin um had 20 vaccines and called CEO called the school, St. Gerards and Bray, uh, to come in and get the vaccines for, for their staff. So look, this has been debated ad nauseum, but what might be some of the issues that, that are here? There are a couple of things that I think have driven this story. Um, first of all, it's not the first time this has happened. So we have had this issue with other hospitals, um it's been talked about uh in in um other hospitals where they've had this doses left over um and then they're going to go to waste so we decided to vaccinate you know these people that we know the first problem is that people do expect that yeah it's a little bit of mates you know bringing your mates because you know you're here and you might as well and i can do you this favor so we do people don't like that when it's as serious as vaccines that everybody is waiting on on top of that because we've had that situation before we've had the hse come out and say no no there must be guidelines around this so people could accept there's going to be these kind of errors and silly things done but you know lesson learned people want their vaccines put a procedure in place people were shocked that there wasn't a procedure perhaps in place but now we're told there's a procedure in place so for this to happen after that is really really damaging second thing when it comes to vaccines, vaccines may be complicated and i know there's loads of experts out there who will again talk about you know what's needed and what's happened and how you do these things but again to the person on the street what do we want from hearing about vaccines we want to know that this is a really professional operation we want to know that that vaccine is quite a precious substance and it doesn't go to waste we want to know and think that when you start off in a day you know how many people you're going to vaccinate you have a list people are being called on that list you're monitoring that list throughout the day and you're kind of figuring out has people showed up who hasn't showed up is there time to get someone else in that kind of thing that it's, it's, it's an ongoing really well-run process the idea that you end up with a day and go oh lads we've 20 of them here though uh, and we've just ended up with them and if we don't use them quick they're gone that doesn't fill us with confidence for the professionalism of how it's done now i'm not a vaccine expert maybe you can end up with 20 of them maybe that's but the point is to those of us who aren't experts in this you look at and go uh, hold on that seems like an awful lot you know again let's bring it back to if you're making dinner you know you're expected to have a fair bit of experience that tells you how many potatoes you're going to put in the pot and boil to feed the family and not go oh actually i have so much potato left over it's all going to have to be dumped you should know something surely there should be a check on this so again that leaves people a little bit nervous because they think how expert are we at this that we keep ending up with these vaccines left over that's your first problem um and that has to be communicated well because it it, it damages what people's perception whether it's right or wrong or it's explainable it damages people's perception of just how professional and expert people giving the vaccines are that's tough and it's tough on a huge amount of staff right across the country who are giving out vaccines where they're not countering these issues at least as far as we're aware now you then get to a second problem it's a private hospital that's never a good situation to be in Because there's a sense of privilege you know there's a sense of yeah of course it would be that they'd have extra you know wherever you think the money is if you like they then go to a school where the ceo's children are and that school is quite a distance away and but yet go to them for the vaccine these kind of situations there's no way when you when you actually step back from that you look and you go (laughs) if you thought for a minute this was going to come out and people are going to know about it you wouldn't do it because you'd say there's no good way of explaining that there's no good way of making that look like that was a reasonable decision the only way you can say it it works is because it suited you so look obviously probably never intended to be known um or, or come out or have to be defended publicly therefore again public look and go yeah so therefore it would have been a nice little quiet deal how many quiet deals are going on that kind of fear is there at the public so what they say is i mean look as i say the issue itself or what was right or wrong about it discussed ad nauseum elsewhere but what it does do from a comms perspective is it has now reinforced the narrative that even with all the guidelines that are there even with all this thing there's probably corruption going on in the system and with a thing like vaccine rollout you can't afford to have that you have to have that trust and faith in the system these kind of things taking away from that really put damage on so you have to be able to show that there is action to it there's a, 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 a an adequate reaction to it now they've closed down the, the the hospital's vaccination program but that's not necessarily going to work for people it's a nice thing to say yeah you know they've done that but at the same time what we need is to see more people getting vaccines so we don't want to see less people being vaccinated we want to get more people vaccinated how are we going to do that where is it going to happen don't put more pressure keep centers open but you know can we just be sure how are you going to really ensure that these kind of things are not decisions for people on the spur of the moment somewhere uh, and that it is a more rigorous process than that and on that topic then that brings me to the other one that's been been lurking around this month which again is schools <clears throat> and exams and what's happening in 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 schools and again here this is about the communication of it and understanding what's what, what this means for government and what it means politically <clears throat> as opposed to giving you there, there are lots of experts and some great journalists and all talking about this in great detail um from the area but from a political sense what's driving this debate you have a sense of schools having been been schools have been a real battleground for the last while um people were fed up last year you know uh, lockdown was long It was difficult they had to get through exams but you know what one thing that will be said was we managed it you know they they managed to calculate grades and to the wider public out there there wasn't any great shock or or seemed to be huge disappointment uh there were a few problems with calculated grades um a few issues with the algorithm that kind of came up but if you're just following the news day to day and you're not actually in there you're going to look at that and go actually doesn't seem to have been that bad because people have moved on they've started new college courses no real particular issues yeah wasn't perfect but what is in this environment so fair play and fair play to the schools getting through it then you had the schools reopening and all of the fears that went with that problems but you know what they got the schools reopened and they seem to work well and we didn't have the numbers and so on driven from that in case numbers so you get to that point at christmas which we have covered in previous podcasts all that happened about that the reopening but it seems to be consistently decisions made and then decisions revoked decisions taken that are clearly the ones where you know it's the obviousness of decisions and a small one this month was been you know first of all the rising case numbers and we're looking at case numbers increasing among young people there would seem to be a correlation between that and schools that's what people will say they'll say look surely you know that the one goes to the other it kind of makes sense and then you have the idea that well no they're not really schools are still pretty safe we're still reopening after april and that's fine and you know what i think the majority of people want schools to now be fully back they didn't ask uh, christmas because they were genuinely scared i think parents and students were genuinely scared with new variants everything else the numbers are crazy levels of numbers of cases a day the numbers aren't down to a satisfactory i mean five or six hundred a day is not great and in case numbers but it's a lot better than where it was and people are a little bit more okay with it uh as they feel to get closer to the vaccine they're a little bit more okay with the idea that well okay some people probably will get it and some people probably will get it among young people but you know separate issue that but you know maybe they'll be okay and and maybe we're okay for schools and i think they really want the schools to get back and, and have everybody back in that's changed the narrative from where it was earlier in the year but that said schools have been a constant source of for anybody with kids and that's a large portion of the population they're finding this really tricky one to navigate because on one level we're saying listen kids go out they go to school um they're wearing masks they socially distance um the surfaces are wiped down And we have very few cases coming out of the schools now you go out as an adult and you say right that's my kids at school now your kids are going to come back to you and those of you who have kids are going to have your kids i have met not met one parent who hasn't told me the same kind of thing of their kids saying to them yeah but we don't social distance all the time no we're fine out in the yard we're talking and there's loads of people taking their masks off and there's loads of people when you go in and out of the doors you're crushed up in a crowd going in and up and down this hallway but you're not there for 15 minutes so i guess it's fine and then you have as an adult looking at this going (laughs) how come you know i have to observe all these rules and go into a shop how come there are certain shops i can't even go into they aren't even open but a school can be open and they can say but if you're wearing masks and you social distance and you're not 15 minutes together you're fine wipe down the surface well you know can't my local shops that that are, are, are you know that i want to go to whether it's a garden center whether it's a, a, a you know even even the pubs there's people going to say that surely for the handful of people that is actually going to be in it I'm de blah we could wipe down the surface the restaurant the whatever the cafe you name it People could sit there and say, Surely they can do it if the schools can do it. Just the same kind of thing. Limit the numbers, just give the masks, you're not going to be 15 minutes together, keep seats distanced. Why then is this not happening? Why then are kids so magically able to stop it in schools but they can't stop it outside? That's problem number one because it creates an inconsistency that hasn't been explained. Now, if you ask me i think it's not that you know there is something there i think my understanding of it is that yeah you could do that but you're just creating more opportunities for it to spread so it's not that we're saying no it will happen there and it won't happen here it's just we're trying to limit the amount of opportunities so we have to close something so this is what we've closed um because it just comes down to that it's not about whether or not you will or won't catch it here it's about just limiting the amount of opportunities for you to go to somewhere where you will i think i think that's my take of it maybe i'm wrong correct me on twitter if i am but uh that's my understanding of it but that does create that inconsistency because people really want to do things there, but that could be done safely if a school is safe then surely this is safe that inconsistency is going to be at the heart of undermining a certain amount of government policy uh, right now um and it's a really difficult time out there as well for parents for parents of kids i'm a parent myself and look at i have two kids who are saying to me yeah i, I you know my, my daughter's not come back to school till, till after easter but my son has been back he's in primary school they don't have to wear masks there they play they sit relatively close together in the classroom they're outside all the time they're in it and then he says well listen you know two of the lads are going to the playground i want to go down and meet them and i'm saying no 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 playground dates aren't allowed say, oh come on you know the others are doing it they're going and, and you know i really miss seeing my friends and getting to play with them i want to go down and play with my friends and say yeah but you can't because you know covid and all that so, dad we play all day every day in school together what's an hour after school going to mean that I can't and that I'm suddenly going to catch COVID there like we've just been playing football we just want to go down to playground and we're going to continue that game of football we're going to continue that game of chasing that we were doing in the yard for an hour and it's very hard to kind of logically say no 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 you're not allowed to do that there I know you've been with these kids all day but you're not allowed to go down there because you're going to get COVID there very very hard and that's why you are seeing increasing amounts of parents because once schools are open and once kids are kind of going back in there is a kind of sense of well they're already mixing so a little bit more mixing can't harm because we don't really understand fully what is the basis of this thing spreading is it stopped by sanitizing masks and social distancing because if that is it and that's able to be done in schools surely that can be done everywhere and if it's not then how can we really trust the figures that all of these cases are in the community and they're not happening in schools and it's that narrative that's causing difficulties for the department and that narrative that's causing a challenge ultimately for the schools. so it's been a tough one it's been a tough one for the, the department of education but they haven't covered themselves in glory in this only this week you had the oral exams for the languages and you know then they were saying no no you can't wear masks um no masks for for this and obviously everybody saying you can't be over 10 minutes chatting to somebody with no masks it's the inconsistency of it was inconceivable to say to young people of 17 years of age or so 16 years of age 17 years of age going into an exam you can sit with this teacher now you haven't been allowed to sit with them with your mask off all year you haven't been allowed to sit with them at, at any distance you haven't been allowed to sit with your friends with your mask off you must wear your masks masks are really important always wear a mask and then oh but for your oral exam no you can sit and have a good long chat if you're not wearing a mask that's fine it doesn't matter if you sneeze or whatever it'd be fine uh, we're all using the same mics and blah blah, blah that just doesn't work you cannot give young people that kind of inconsistent message that well we can magically make the rule disappear here because it kind of suits us so obviously they had to go back on that decision and again and again and again we've seen this in education utterly predictable problems utterly predictable outcomes where everybody pretty much knows this will not and cannot fly and they push ahead until they get to a point where then they're made back down and go okay actually we're going back on that you can't you can't run a a, a department like that and it needs at the moment it needs someone with a common sense check that's getting out of that space of where business as usual for exams or for the way the department interacts with trade unions and indeed for their unions and how they interact with department and paying conditions and all that kind of thing those things have to go out the window there has to be just a common sense approach to how we are actually going to deal with this and that brings us to that wider topic of reopening for everybody so when's it going to happen when are we actually going to see it and and here again we're struggling with ireland's lack of real direction now the government deserves some um leeway here shall we say because one of the problems we've got is we have a department and uh, of health that is trying to come up with a plan and work across NEFIT and other organizations you have ministers politically trying to come up with a plan and as they've said themselves we don't want to say this is the plan and then a couple of weeks later come back and go well actually the plan is gone again it makes us look bad it makes us look you know unsure so what we've ended up with is a situation where are saying well we won't tell you the plan um we're not going to commit to anything we'll just wait and see see how the numbers go and see what happens i'm afraid that's not going to work though either and this is the tough thing about politics it's the tough thing about being in power in a situation like that there are no easy options it's not as easy as saying well look at everybody gets annoyed at us when we say we'll be out of this by the 30th of june we're all going to open up everything and there you go and then the 30th of June rolls around and you know you can't do it and therefore everybody's annoyed so they then say well do you know what now I'm not going to tell you anything uh, because you're giving out to me about that so I'm going to tell you we'll see when we see we'll know when we know that's it you don't get to do that either you don't get to have that because deep down the public are not fools they know there is absolutely no way no way that the department of finance is looking out across its budgets and so on for this year and pandemic employment payments and business and taxation and everything else and that it has no projections whatsoever for what's going to happen for the rest of the year none zilch there's no way that's happening in the department of finance there is no way that when that cabinet meeting happens and they sit down that nobody that everybody around that cabinet table says nope nope no talk of reopening just don't know don't know figure it out when we figure it out lads we'll see everybody knows no more so than around every kitchen table in the country there are people giving their views as to when we think it might reopen and when we might go places or do things they know the cabinet has to be discussing potential scenarios if then if this happens then we'll do that if this happens then we'll have to do that and if that happens then we'll have to do this there has to be all of that happening at a cabinet level therefore when you look across a cabinet table and you want to communicate that you have to be in a position to actually do it you have to be able to say to people here's our plans the government have now decided we're not telling you any of the plans so we'll figure it out when we figure it out and what you're actually ending up with is a f- public even more frustrated beginning to break rules of lockdown because well you know should sure the government could change it again it maybe it's people increasingly saying well we thought it was june if the vaccinations held up but that could be july and even if they get everyone vaccinated sure they'll probably keep the lockdown in place anyway don't they love lockdown they seem to be getting a great thrill out of it um, you're getting people saying sure look at you know it's not just about lockdown it's about keeping the pubs closed anyway because they don't want people drinking alcohol that's their problem it's a it's a health buzz they're on someone in the department there are all these theories being kicked about now among the public and it is leading to that erosion of trust in the idea of we're doing this in order to reach a target in order to reach those numbers drive them down and then you get everybody can you do a little bit more can you try a little bit harder i know you're doing well but we need to get these numbers down and it's a fair argument to also make but it negates the idea that people feel we've done everything and there's no end in sight and therefore they are inclined to break those little rules at the edge and increasingly i think we all probably are easing up a little bit on our rigorous Uh, adherence to small details whether it's about sanitizing hands or uh, masks here and there or visits here and there increasingly people are just going yeah but i only did it once no yeah wasn't strictly to the letter of the law but then given i've done everything else right i'm okay you hear that all the time from people and i think all of us it's understandable it's understandable that people will feel that way because they are getting tired of inconsistent messaging whether it's this works in schools but it doesn't work outside schools this happens but you know you don't have to worry about it over there you can't having people need to know this actually works give us a central core message that we all have to do all the time and then give us some direction and again i think the public are a lot more forgiving than the government makes them out to be about dates targets and aims if a new variant hits i think the public accept it's not your fault the new variant has hit it's not your fault that the numbers haven't fallen by a certain amount that we had hoped they were going to fall by the end of April. It's not your fault if we haven't got uh, the vaccine in. There are things that will be their fault if we get vaccine in but we're not rolling it out, then it's your fault. If we're not doing test and trace properly, uh, then it's your fault. All of those things they matter and i think what government have sometimes got confused in communications is believing that they've an unforgiving public when really the public have just been annoyed with decisions they've got wrong and what you need to do in government is say we did get that one wrong we did yeah change a decision change attack we shouldn't have done this we're going to do this instead but that doesn't mean oh they were very unforgiving if things are actually beyond your control the public will forgive you they will accept that a plan may not meet if something like a new variant comes in and suddenly vaccines don't work i don't believe the public then go oh we're fed up listening to the government now and now it's not going to be the end of june i think they know to expect that they are going to get fed up though of not being told stuff they are going to be fed up of a government where they begin to perceive a government as not being accountable because what that comes across as is we're not going to set targets we're not going to talk about deliverables because ultimately You'll hold us accountable. And ultimately, that's your job. It is to be accountable. And sometimes that accountability is unfair. So what? It's only politics. You are a minister for a short amount of time, you are Taoiseach for a short amount of time. You are not there. This is not a career. This is not the rest of your life. If it goes wrong, you go off and you do other things in life. That's why it is what it is you're there to take decisions you're there to be held accountable and you're there to defend your decisions and to say this is what was my fault and this was what wasn't so be it but you have to do that and we are dangerously lurching along here into a system whereby we say we can't be held accountable because people are going to be unfair to us we can't have that kind of fear that's not leadership leadership is about not fearing what being held accountable not saying that you are going to cling to this all the time you're going to be just honest about it and you're going to say this is what our plan is and i do think that's going to have to happen at some point um because the pressure is going to ramp up particularly if we take the positive side out of this where the government is risking is that it's going to sound like when they do come out of this so let's assume the vaccines work let's assume everything goes well the government's great hope might have been that they would get credit for the vaccine rollout that they would get credit for reopening society for that to work people have to believe it was the government's plan if the government have never told you what their plan was then it begins to look like you just went along with it hit and hope and it just yeah you ended up where you ended up um you know you're columbus finding america you just kind of went across the sea and you thought you were somewhere else but you ended up here not a bad result there you go how here, everyone's happy not really they're not going to give you credit for that in, the, in this scenario so there is a d- risk for the government that they were going to fail to get the credit because it's going to f- fail to look like they were ever actually in control of it or had a plan for coming out of it um on the other hand you know look there's 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 huge challenges for them in this over the coming months because if vaccines do work so let's go back to that thing of let's always assume and plan everything on the worst possible case scenario you have to be aware of the worst possible case you do have to plan for what you will do if the worst possible case comes out but they don't take every decision on the assumption that you are in the worst possible case because what you need to do now is I figure out how do we get out what is likely to be the most likely outcomes here how do we take decisions on that and start preparing for them um because let's put it this way if vaccines actually work and we get to may and the government is still talking about well let's keep the lockdown going let's keep lockdown. and you are looking at news reports every night and let's just assume for a moment a situation where all vulnerable people have been well vaccinated All people with underlying health conditions have been well vaccinated Uh, and that has all taken effect and they've all been their necessary couple of weeks afterwards and you are then looking at a situation where you still have case numbers but every night you turn on the news there are zero zero deaths zero deaths zero deaths zero deaths zero deaths the narrative will then change and people will start saying look we know people get this but people are not dying and if they're not dying, then this is no different to whatever is any other disease that happens or comes. And yes, there are long-term effects of COVID. I know, and there are all of those things we don't want people to get it, but that's where the narrative's going to go. People are going to say, "Look, you can't keep us all closed up for this forever," and then it becomes well, the government was forced to reopen rather than the government planned to reopen, and that's the danger they're going to find themselves in, in in coming weeks and months now for something though completely different so let's move on from COVID. what else was in the story the big story probably this month i think was about leo Veradkar and the leaked documents um that were were given to a friend um what does this mean for the tarnished what does it mean from as he moves into the role of of Taoiseach where he is is looking to again uh, interesting just aside on that isn't it funny how uh, comfortable Leo Vryker has become with even during joking during the week about how when when there was um the Corla Corral mistaken one TD for another and Leo Vryker felt quick enough to quip you know uh oh don't worry sometimes people mistake me for the shock. um you know he <laughs> how comfortable he is with that how comfortable he is that yeah people still sometimes see Leo as the T shock, and that's a, an okay joke just shows I think where leadership is at this that the, you know the office of Taoiseach is no uh, no longer seen as the ultimate authority post uh, because it's just a transition at the moment um and there is a sense of that a very strong sense of that it's interesting now just to give you some background i'm actually going to turn to an article that was in the irish times uh, by jack corgan jones and cormac mcquinn on thursday 25th of march uh, which said the tarnished leak remains a hot topic in political circles especially in finna just going to read from this because it gives a good background to what happened and also the um the feelings within finna and and i think it's in that context i'd like to discuss it so in this article they say quote uh, what I'm saying is it's not going to arise said Thonister Leo Varadkar on the prospect of charges being brought against him on the back of the Garda investigation of his leak of a GP pay deal in 2019 speaking to LMFM's Michael Reid on Wednesday Varadkar said that's not something I'm considering I don't believe it's going to happen he added it won't be distracting me from my job nor is it distracting anyone else in government we're very busy doing the people's business and that's what we're paid to do while the Taunashta might not be distracted, the leak remains a hot topic in political circles and in Fine Gael in particular. Fine Gael prides itself on being the party of law and order, said a party insider. Gardier are investigating allegations that Varadkar improperly leaked a confidential copy of a proposed new GP contract to a friend, Dr Mayhu O'Toole, in April 2019 when he was Taoiseach. The contract contained details of the deal the government had provisionally agreed with the Irish Medical Organisation. At the time, Dr O'Toole was President of the National Association of GPs, a rival organisation representing GPs that is now defunct. Varadkar apologised for his actions in the dole and survived a Sinn Féin vote of no confidence. He insisted he had not broken the law and defended his actions by saying he had circulated the contract to encourage any GP members to agree to it. It is understood that the focus for the Gardaí is establishing whether a criminal offence was committed under the Crimin- Criminal Justice Corruption Offences Act 2018. There are undoubtedly concerns at a senior level in Finegrail over the impact of the Gardaí investigation. It has provided ammunition to the opposition, it calls into question the judgement and it compounds what some argue has been a stuttering term as leader not marked by any particular electoral success. However, the politics of the ongoing fallout from the league are not straightforward. Talking to backbenchers and junior ministers, both privately and on record, reveals a more complex picture. The Irish Times saw comment from 29 backbenchers and ministers of state. They were all asked two questions. Should the Tornish step aside if he is charged with an offence following the Garda investigation? And do they believe Fine Gael has been damaged by the controversy? None criticised the Fine leader on the record and there was vocal support from those who offered public comments. Even privately, almost all defend Varadkar to a greater or lesser extent. End quote. Now, it goes on to talk about some of the things that have happened within um the the uh, party and what people are saying about it and the issues with Francis Fitzgerald before. I think there's a couple of things that I just want to touch on from that piece. This thing has kicked off for Leo Varadkar and I don't think he does sound particularly worried about it he is however in a very tight situation because it's not good to have a Garda investigation hanging over you uh, even if it finds nothing um as I said there this Finnegrail thing of being the party of law and order all that it just it's not sitting easy it would be different for Leo Varadkar it mentions there that his stuttering start as leader with no electoral success it would be different for Leo Radker if this was a leader who had got a huge electrum victory Uh, if it was a leader who was seen as being you know maybe a little bit maverick at times yeah but has some huge successes behind him uh, in his departments really big impacts really big successes again going back to that thing you have to have something to put the gold star against and say listen may not be great in all these things but I've been astounding here and here I don't think Finegrail have that sense of leo Radker. they were promised much with him he has not been the great media revelation that they thought he was going to be that was supposed to be a change from ender kenny he's not been this wonderfully astute electoral guy who is rolling out his ideas for electoral attack of elections and, and, and organization right across finegrail not really seeing that he hasn't come across as somebody who's particularly dominant as a leader uh, as somebody who would be feared or indeed greatly loved in any way he's just leo yeah he's he's there to do a job he's a product he's created for this but you know well marketed but what is he is, is when does leo lose his head behind closed doors when does leo get upset when does leo you know get annoyed about things when does he feel really passionate about some things when does he drive things through when is he that motivational force in the party they're getting a sense that none of that's there it is increasingly this product kind of view of him and that's damaging for him because in this kind of scenario it's been struck to yeah he, you know here's a kind of a slightly maverick move but we can't even hide it behind but that's leo you know at the same time he cuts corners sometimes but he really gets stuff done that's not what they're seeing here and that's part of why um they're 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 annoyed about this and maybe doubting it and he has of course opponents within the party were going to doubt it continuing on in this article a little later on it says quote on the leak many in the party while not dismissing it except for aggar's ar- argument that his actions were in the national interest he did it with the best of intentions said one td when pressed tds acknowledged there had been damage if there was an election in six months to a year it would certainly impact on electoral support said one another called it far from ideal and a bit of a distraction. When any issue arises you're always concerned says a third. No matter what happens damage can occur they added. Fine deputies are uncomfortable when asked what should happen if Radker is charged many prefer not to discuss it at all. All who addressed it said they do not believe it will happen however some believed that if it came it would bring unbearable pressure on the leader. If anyone was charged a file would have gone to the DPP if they determined they were taking a case to court he'd have to step aside said Bunty D another when asked if he would have to step aside if charged bluntly said yes some of who sp- said it would only be considered at that time if it arose of the 12 TDs who spoke privately they believed Veradker would have to step down if charged another three said he should stay and another refused to answer and five did not outline a definitive view end quote um it's just interesting to hear that views are from within Finnegrail so look Here's the thing about this leaked document. Um, I'm not going to get into whether or not he is going to be charged because I honestly don't know. My gut tells me no. Um, This isn't an outlandish thing where there was any great damage done. I don't know, though, on the technical point of law because I've seen a lot of debate about this and say, well, he's entitled to do it and he takes a decision and there's a certain way that can be interpreted that he has the authority to do that and therefore it's not a breach. On the other hand, you have people saying no there could be a technical breach of this small line this idea when you're into that i don't know i don't know you are into technicalities here pulling it back leo vradker did share a document with a friend um a confidential document but as he says he believed it was going to get uh, these guys to support us and get them uh in on side it would not be the first time that somebody has shared a confidential document in order to get something done um in order to do i i i mean i would be fairly confident to say that a lot of ministers would look and say yeah you know it was very important i had that stakeholder and you know what i gave them a quick view of the document i was very cautious that they needed to know something and i let them see an early copy or an early draft of something and it helped inform them get them on board no damage done this isn't about you know whether or not damage was done by it it's about whether or not you know you were technically allowed to ever do it do people do it ah look at my guess is that this isn't a shocking departure for many people in politics what they'll find shocking is that it ended up outside i think what scares people now is that this ended up in a whatsapp group and then those whatsapp messages ended up getting shared um and that's just modern world uh, whereas in times before it would have been here you know have a look at it and then you know off you go and memorize it and you just tell people face to face that they've seen it the pictures of us the documents that's that's just leaves a record that is a little bit harder uh to to go around and and justify but look at that's what happens i i would suspect there are a lot of politicians who are saying look at this isn't outlandish but it does mean we have to be very careful who you trust and who you give information to and what's handling that information where it goes and possibly will encourage many never to breach any kind of rule of it again and you might say that's a good thing and the other hand some might say yeah but there are times when it'll have to be done I mean, i'm sure during the likes of the peace process there were lots of documents shared indeed you know, i remember a row between albert reynolds and john major um during the peace process because john major suddenly revealed at one point that he was having secret talks with uh the provisionals and he hadn't been clear to the irish government about what those talks were um and albert reynolds said to him you're supposed to be my friend here you know we're, we're supposed to be open about this you know because i need to know if you are revealing or showing them anything coming from our discussions that kind of thing that you know it's hard to believe that it would never happen on the margins of EU things as well that there are documents that are shared to special interest groups say would you be happy with this outcome do you think that would work and here you go and they're able to say yeah we could take this but you need to change that line certain things like that uh, I'm sure happen and I think that's probably the way a lot of politicians are viewing this but it still comes back to where's well, a technical rule broken here and that's a real problem for Leo Varadkar the other problem for him is it seems to fit a pattern again a pattern where he can't say look this was central to getting that deal done their support was absolutely vital and I got them on board and they came in and we got that deal across the line and this was essential to it that's what I do I got stuff across the line and he doesn't have that reputation as a minister certainly not yet and uh, that's problematic for him because then people go what what's the purpose of sharing the document he says it was with the best of intentions did it deliver you know are, is, has he delivered big things here is this a guy we look at and say yeah he's probably done the same in other areas but you know what this is how he gets stuff over the line they're not getting that sense so i think that is a problem for him there's also a problem that it tends to be a sense he has now got a reputation Within government, within his colleagues, within Fianna Fáil, his coalition partners, within the media, that Leo Varadkar does like talking to the media. He likes leaking documents. He likes telling people what's going on behind the scenes. He likes having these leaks of what the next decision from government's going to be and where your... He doesn't do. He likes being on that inside track. That's the impression people have got of him. And therefore it seems to fit a pattern. You've had this thing on Twitter, hashtag Leo the Leak and all this kind of thing. It fits a pattern, fits a narrative about Leo Vradka now, and that's particularly difficult for him. As I say, I don't know what's actually gonna happen with that situation, whether or not he's gonna be charged. But here's what I think if 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 he is charged, as as was put there, I don't think Leo Vradka survives. (laughs) Um if if it goes that far, I think it's damaging enough and does cause serious questions. Among a party that's probably beginning to wonder should it change leader anyway? I think there's a growing belief in Finn and Grail that, you know, Leo's not necessarily the leader they were looking for, and that they might, you know, at at any kind of encouragement, jump ship with him and move to somebody else. On the other hand, you know, if he's charged, I don't I I think people just move in mass and go, no, no, no. Look, he has never really performed for us, he's never been the great leader, and we don't need this good excuse for him to just move now so i think uh if if that scenario transpired he was gone do i see it happening my gut tells me no he won't be charged that this is getting over to a way too technical point for them to actually find something but i don't know um if he's not charged i think he continues on this will be put behind him but it will always be part of that narrative of leaking and you know talking to people and friends and not really being I suppose that serious politician and, and you know all through his career I've always said this with Leo Radker we would love at some point to look at someone like Leo Radker if you were you were in that mold shaping backroom team and go look what this guy needs is gravitas and we have to be able to give him that gravitas he's got lots of other quirky things that he goes but that's all we see he absolutely needs that hard gritty tough gravitas and we have to create that with him um this just does nothing it just does again puts in the politician that doesn't have gravitas but says ah yeah yeah there's the document have a look at it that kind of thing that's the danger um and i think that's why it it will be damaging for his reputation across the way though in fiona fall things aren't looking any brighter as we said at the outset fiona fall down at 11 percent in the polls michael martin this hasn't been the dream um that maybe he had hoped it would be uh, as Taoiseach I think Michal Martin realized the dream by becoming Taoiseach I think he was scared to take that leap that would have brought him in with Sinn Féin as being a little bit too wild of a move went in with Fine Gael, I think hoped that this government was going to achieve great things particularly coming out of COVID, and that it would be some thanks for us, and he would finish his career on a relative high of having been you know someone who brought finne and fianna Fáil together and fianna Fáil would be you know back as a force and thanked for that and he'd be you know great leader in that time it uh, hasn't transpired like that at all uh, look at michael martin continues to suffer from the thing there's a lack of recognition uh, within it there's still as you say that cleo vragger feels quick enough to quit the people mistaken for t-shock and, and and it is an ongoing joke everywhere Uh, he is on a timescale a wind down timescale unfortunately for his his uh, term which leaves him in a very difficult position but on top of that his performances as leader has not been marked by urgency it has not been marked by somebody who, as you would think that coming in on that limited timescale you would think that coming in at this point in crisis you would think that having weighted his career to it this was the moment you go i'm a man in a hurry and i'm a man in a hurry to leave a mark and leave a legacy and these decisions have to happen and one thing would mark that term would be urgency drive real ambition instead it's been marked by caution a little bit of indecision uh steady as she goes lads be careful now you know let's just be calm let things play out see where we get to assess 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 and then when we can do no more assessment we'll ask somebody else to assess it and then we might eventually come to a negotiated compromise decision um, and that's the impression he's had and i think for fianna fall it's become just too much uh, i think the polls are, are a disaster for them if this government was not in the covid situation it would already have fallen um, that is my honest view. I don't believe the government would be in place. Only they just don't know how to fight an election, uh, during COVID. So they certainly don't want to fight a media-only election. Uh, Fianna Fáil needs boots on the ground. They're hoping those boots are there at eleven percent in the polls. Maybe those boots aren't there, and that's the really scary thing for them. Um. When they come back from COVID, what's left of political organisations? To me, political organisations do depend on that social aspect, that mixing, that friends, that everything else. A lot of that's been gone for over a year now. At a time when a party really needs to bind people together, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think people may have drifted, and and that's a real danger for an organisation like Fianna Fáil, who are built on on those uh, foot troops. So you're getting a little bit of Fianna Fáil TDs talking. Um, about a revolution, if you like, within the party. The only likely name to come up there is Jim O'Callaghan because Jim O'Callaghan was smart enough to at least go, "I'm not been part of this new deal you're putting in with Finnegly." So as he wasn't going to be tainted by it, that has left him, possibly the front runner for it is Jim O'Callaghan the answer I don't know though I still don't think that the rest of Fianna Fáil I think would probably wish there was somebody else who had taken that decision I still don't know that they feel comfortable that they feel close enough to Jim O'Callaghan to really feel he is the leader although I think what is there whatever it remains of their organization is probably feeling that anybody it'd be better at least at this point um and it's a tough decision for them now as they prepare to go in and be subservient as they will see us to finna for for a term other people that are within the mix as the talk of barry Cowan making a comeback possibly to support jim O'Callaghan. he would be a kingmaker he would be important if he does support someone like jim O'Callaghan to give him that rural strength that rural block barry cowan though had just bring baggage baggage after all that went with his own resignation and the fight went, went with that Dara leary another one who probably has less baggage because Dara leary was smart enough that as soon as the thing came up about golfgate he just put his hand up and said i shouldn't have been there um <laughs> you know should have known should have walked out of it stupid mistake and i'm resigning and that's that and they did immediately which kind of means that i think people will feel a little bit more "Mm, yeah you know darren made a stupid mistake when he doesn't have to pay for it all his life you know he owned up to it that's it because he didn't fight tooth and nail about it it gives him more of a chance of a comeback um but really when you look across it do you see big leadership names and figures within this party probably not it's not the party it once was with you know masses of talent there's no hugely charismatic figure there's nobody that people would say well if they were running the show we'd be in a very different scenario that there's a real you know if you go back to when brian cowan was was in trouble you know uh well in fact go back earlier go back to to uh go back to when let's go back just give you a quick kind of sample of what we're talking about here 'Cause when Albert Reynolds say um went from leader uh, leadership, Bertie Hearn was, you know, the next leader. But Bertie Hearn was there, you had Maura Gagan Quinn there, you had several big hitters around that government, around the that cabinet who were, you know, looking there there wasn't been a leadership battle, but you had Mary O'Rourke, you had Michael Woods, you had John Wilson, um there were people, you know, even Ray Burke, dare I say it, uh you know, but big names, big people, you know, all Brian Cowan himself was only young at the time, but you know was a real heavy hitter already all coming into that then you have Fianna Fáil under Bertie Ahern And Bertie Ahern steps down you have Micheál Martin, Dermot Ahern, uh, Brian Lenahan, um Noel Dempsey you have a hugely experienced Mary Hannafin you know these were ex- people who'd been ministers for years hugely hugely vastly experienced cabinet big big hitters and you think any of these could end up leader um all big performers on media all well used to things all people who are instantly recognizable the minute they came on tv you know who to love them hate them yes all that but you knew who they were there's a difficulty for fianna fall and they don't have that recognition right now um, across the faces in the party i think even within fianna fall people would struggle to name their entire front bench and you know uh, that's that's not a good place to be uh, there are too many faces that aren't recognizable there are too many faces that aren't don't have experience anymore because of what happened in 2011 i mean when michael martin took over from brian cowan then there was michael martin Eamon o'queve uh, brian lennon uh you know again big big mary hannafin was still there you, you, you big big names instantly recognizable all beginning to look at leadership you know and say maybe maybe we could go for this you know all of them kind of disappeared now i know some of them people who've been standing down like noel dempsey Dermot herm people like that but again they could have in another time and place been leaders all of that puts you then you look at the current fee and fall and think it's not just you can't take three or four names you're struggling for one um that really you look at and go there's experience there's power there's gravitas there's the person and and that's the problem for fianna Fáil. but i do think they are very soon in that position and i think as michael martin comes to that closure on his term t-shock it gets more and more dangerous he's more and more as they will see it lame duck and that's going to make a rocky ride in government as i say if covid wasn't there i think these guys had already begun for an election meanwhile over with the greens they have been yet again having fun uh with their their experience of government here's the thing with the greens and green started out um a you know as a party that was opposed it seemed to everything they were a party throughout the 90s early 2000s that just seemed too wild out there now as the environmental debate gained traction they too weren't suddenly realized these guys aren't so wild anymore uh, they're kind of becoming mainstream views and, and that was really positive for them they came into government uh, the last time and were met by the financial crisis at a time when they said you know we're ready for government we're going in here we're going to make the new kind of green policies they didn't get to do very much of that um and equally once they were in there they really struggled with that power dynamic kind of understandable at that time because look they were new they'd never been in these cabinet situations and to be honest most of the existing cabinets had not even seen anything like this it was part and parcel of why they got swept aside after the election, but they didn't manage to really show they were bringing something new to politics at that point. They've rebuilt them. People have kind of been a bit understanding about that experience. They've come back into government yet again at a time of uh, crisis for the Greens uh, and and world crisis again when COVID is there now they are having an impact because climate change is such a big issue for people climate change is a big issue in politics and they are there and they are probably making a little bit more impact this time as regards environmental policy which is of course what they're there to do and they need that Eamon ryan needs that he needs to prove the greens being here did something for the environment because this is one shot we've we've sold everything and getting in here we have to prove it works now on the other hand you do look at the greens and you think, again, what has happened over that time?" They have pretty much transformed themselves from the previous party. They lost a lot of the experienced people who were kind of seen as being uh, tainted in some ways by the experience of government, so that they've really only got Owen Ryan sitting there left, and they've got a whole load of new faces, a whole load of new people. Unfortunately, here's the deal with new people and parties and things that come in. Everybody thinks well if we have a new party and if I go into politics I'm just going to do the right things by the right people and it's that's all you have to do I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be true and I'm going to be good and then politics is this quagmire where everything's gray and it's never just that simple of there's a right and a wrong way to do it and that misty eyed wonderful idealism that is necessary in politics but has to always be tempered by to get stuff done You have to bring people with you um and the greens are really struggling with that they're struggling with it internally they're struggling with Eamon Ryan's position as leader Eamon Ryan is not really differentiating himself from the other two leaders who seem to be just doing their own thing and Eamon's kind of brought along for fun he needs he really needs he has been having some success in the 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 environmental side but he really needs people to sell that and unfortunately it's also hitting at a time when Eamon Ryan for some reason does not seem his Energetic self, he doesn't seem like the man who's on top of things and really driven by it, and I think that's affecting him. I think look, it's a tough job, and and I think at this stage of his career, he is finding this a bit of a slog in government right now, and he needs to reinvigorate that, um because it comes across. You can kind of see it in him. Um, as for the party, the Greens are always going to have tough decisions. They were having tough decisions last time, and it was clear they were going to have tough decisions this time. They had a group who want never to be part of government they only want to be part of the protest movement that's a problem it's a problem because those people while they are very good and they have a very good purpose they are never going to actually change the way government is done they're never actually going to save the environment because they're never going to actually be there to do anything about it but the greens need to decide at what point do they eject that kind of thing and say listen you people can go off and do whatever you want and and there is talk of them forming yet another centre-left party um to be all good things to all good people and do all the right things by nature the environment and everything else and i say that as somebody who cares about the environment who wants to see that but look it's not that simple that you can just set up the party and say we do all the right things and people will love us you get a handful of votes somewhere and that's it um it doesn't mean you give up but it certainly means you have to accept some realities to life and you have to accept that you're not always right other people's opinions matter too and you have to be having discourse with them and not just continually tell them only you have the right solution anyway the greens are struggling with that they've struggled this month with hazel Chu, who has been again one of these high profile members and the greens seem to get a lot of this people who who aren't necessarily ministers or anything but they get this really high profile as members as part of the party that's struggling um they're going to struggle with that because hazel Chun now is running as an independent she's chair of the party and there's this kind of thing of but aren't you okay to do all this because let's ignore politics and the rules of politics and what binds a party together if you keep doing that the party gets looser and looser and looser and here's the harsh reality i say this as somebody who's a cynical old nut when it comes to parties but organization is everything and you release and you 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 make the, the organization a little bit less cohesive the organization falls apart and it might seem like the right thing to do it can seem tough sometimes to have somebody who's there as an enforcer who tells you you can't do this you're not allowed to run you're not allowed to break the rules you're not allowed to step out there you're not allowed to say this that and the other but you need it because once that party discipline isn't there there is no party then it's just a collection of wild opinions and thoughts and individuals that's the tough bit that's why parties are tough to make them successful they need rules and they need discipline and you've got to be able to make that happen greens they're yet again in government and they're suffering from that lack of central rules discipline and that really guiding force that we believe in the party again they are driven by a cause and of course their belief in the cause is the thing but also there seems to be quite a lot of belief in self And me being the person there. And the idea of being subservient to the party and going, well, it's not what I would have done, but I'm still loyal to the party and I stick it out and I sit here and I put my hand up and say, I never voted for this, but I'm still a Green because we have to get stuff done. That's it. That's always been lacking, I think, in the likes of the Greens. And there are other parties out there, I think it's a challenge for too. All these smaller, newer parties coming in, it's a challenge. A challenge to actually enforce that discipline to a point where people go, yeah, this party is me and i obey the party and i go with it through thick and thin but if you don't have that backbone parties do eventually just slip away in that electoral maelstrom when it hits Uh, and that's that's going to be so i think the greens possibly are looking at another split i don't see much hope for a new green party an alternative green party a continuity green party (laughs) look we've got so many parties of the left again you've seen efforts to try and bring some of those together Palmer Friedman uh, as, as as part of that uh, recently they need to come together if there's ever be a force but they need to recognize that to bring them together is going to require discipline as well um, and that requires that you have to swallow your pride sometimes and go along with tough decisions you don't agree with if you don't do that you're always going to have a problem um on the other hand uh one comment was made to me this week which said um somebody questioned Sinn Féin riding so high in the polls uh while (coughs) they were on the anniversary of the Warrington bombs and this was something that came up a lot in social media with commentators talking about the Warrington bombs and you know people for or against Sinn Féin either taking offense at what was said or not here's the thing um first of all let's be clear about things like warrington and the history we have a difficult history in in ireland we have a difficult history that we always have to own up to and in indeed our own independence there were a lot of very nasty things done um, and in our own civil war nasty things done on all sides um, and nobody is is covered in in glory from it uh in the troubles there were horrific things done and warrington was one of the most horrific and one of those things i think that people have always felt that even if they were sympathizing at some level with the ira cause they really struggled to sympathize with innocent people being killed in a shopping street um there were even those within the ira who struggled with that idea those campaigns against uh innocent people as it was seen they're all difficult there is no excuse for what happened at Warrington no excuse for what happened um at at that time why would it be a thing today is the question Uh, and of course because some people they say well you know Sinn Féin were there they were they were back the IRA and doing this i'm going to tell you one thing though this isn't about warrington and it's not about the kind of thing it's about how people deal with this um politically now uh, because i think the question was asked how does Fein get on so well in the polls if people out there believe and i do think in my age category uh say 40s and above there is a view that oh you know what we have to re-educate young people about uh what used to happen in the north and about the ira and um, because once they know that they'll move away from Sinn Féin if you're of that opinion let me tell you now I think that's nonsense I think young people are well aware of what happened in the Troubles in the North they're well aware that the British Army did horrific things they're well aware that the UDA and UVF did horrific things and they are well aware that the IRA committed some of the most horrific crimes uh, in in its term um, a terrorism campaign In Britain and in Northern Ireland, they have no doubt about it. They've no doubt. They know that Gardi were shot. Um, you know, innocent people were bombed. That's, but they know it happens in a context where they believe there were wrongs on so many sides, and it's not their issue. It did happen twenty years ago, thirty years ago. It shouldn't be forgotten. We should be against violence, and young people are against violence. But they're looking at a Sinn Féin party that's you know these guys aren't going out and saying yes well we want bombs and we want to be back bombing or anything they're saying the exact opposite so if you think going back over that history is going to erase Sinn Féin's uh support base in any way shape or form then you're to me you're living in cloud cuckoo land Sinn Féin support base is built now on the fact that it is it was a party who um in the early 2000s was kind of attractive to some simply because it was different and it was that gunman in the field so there were certain people actually attracted by the links to IRA and nationalism in the north and the ballads and all that kind of thing it made a certain support base but it plateaued it got a chance in 2011 to make a breakthrough and it got that chance because establishment parties had as people saw it destroyed the economy and they were looking people were looking for something else Sinn Féin came up a little bit in the polls not astronomically what should have been their golden era of of their perfect ground for them to come to power they didn't and again they got a little bit of support where some people went yeah well I don't think Sinn Féin are too bad they got that they held it but again by 2016 it looked like they plateaued to being the kind of half party maybe they were getting that left-wing vote but they still weren't seen as solid on business or anything else now Sinn Féin have got themselves to the point where they're the only party that can remove Fine Gael in particular from government and that narrative has allowed them to really grow and hold support and to become a new kind of centre-left nationalist pan-nationalist party that Fianna Fáil always occupied And, and to me they are gradually morphing into a new Fianna Fáil and that's where they're headed. Now they're gonna say, well, we can be that and full, but without all the corruption and without all the bad decisions, yada yada yada. We'll see. But anyway, that's their argument. The fact is for young people, that's what they're looking at. They're looking at what they're now seeing as an increasingly reasonable party that offers an alternative government. This isn't about terrorism, this isn't about, you know, IRA, army councils, all that. And the more you keep talking about that, The only thing you're doing is convincing people that Sinn Féin are different the more you tell them they're different the better it sounds because that's what people want something different they don't want just another political party and that's exactly what people keep telling them Sinn Féin are they're different they're not another political party whoop-de-doo you do their PR for them so I think as long as that goes that's where Sinn Féin's base is we have to move beyond an obsession with the IRA um if you want to understand Sinn Féin and where it's going most of those people are not in that zone those voters are there because of socio-economic reasons now and what they believe is maybe voters who would have been voters who would have gone to Fianna Fáil and sang their rebel ballads and felt a bit nationalistic in the past now grow up and kind of go "Mm, yep I'm a little bit more at ease with Sinn Féin though and that's what we've got to to accept so no I don't think going back and kind of talking about that endlessly as in we shouldn't vote for Sinn Féin because of this is ever going to damage Sinn Féin's base um and I just wanted to touch on that because again a comment was in there uh, on it but that's what I see as as their future too So that is it for this week. Another big roundup of the main news stories and a little bit of a look at what maybe drove them sorry it's been a long one again but uh, it's worth it to go into so many issues uh, all at once and uh, thank you again for listening if you agree or disagree with anything i've said you can of course catch me on twitter at johnny fallon that's at j-o-n-n-y-f-a-l-l-o-n uh, where i would love to hear from you and if you like the podcast please do share it spread the word tell people to listen in that's how we're able to keep going Thanks again to my colleagues uh, in Car Communications, who, of course, make the podcast possible. And uh, I want to thank all of you. We'll be back with uh, a new uh, edition of our referendum series uh, coming soon, uh, looking again at the story of Ireland's referendums and how they have shaped uh, our society. So thank you again for listening. Stay safe out there, and we will be back with another r- r- news roundup at the end of the month. Take care. Thank you.